Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. It's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not confuse. Hi everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Shall Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. I'm Jason Lindsay. And man, it's a, it's another full week of stuff. Every week it's we a got full a, week. We got a, we got a huge list. I don't know how we're gonna get to all this. There's just too much. What we we have to do is we have to we have to filter it. You know, we have to go through the stuff that we think is really important, stick that in the show, and the rest is going to be up to the the listenership to find on their own. Unfortunately, we can't hold their hands. That's true. You know, for their, the rest of their lives. But, you know, I, I've been posting a few things, uh, you know, that we don't necessarily talk about but over on the Facebook page. I don't, I'm sure you saw the, uh, just the, the vocal track for Under Pressure. Yes, I actually was sent that by a couple of different people. Um, I thought you would be. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. Um, there's actually one, there's a, there's a really cool thing in one of the DVDs, one of the Queen DVDs, where uh, Brian May just sits in the uh, control, you know, like the, where the mixing desk is in a, in a studio, and runs through Bohemian Rhapsody, which mm. I don't know. I think I'm right about this, and I don't know how many people know this, but like in Bohemian Rhapsody, as far as I know, all the vocals in that, it's all Freddie. Now, a lot of the stuff that they did where there were those layered vocals, you had Brian and Roger Taylor and Freddie, you know, layering um, harmonies, but Bohemian Rhapsody is all Freddie. So wow. it's Freddie's, and, and he isolates these different tracks. Uh, and just goes on about how long it took to make this song. Um, but it's it's really you know, spine tingling when you hear his voice isolated on different um, harmonies and just the gift that this guy had. Uh, well, even on this thing, even under pressure, I mean, Bowie sounds amazing, but Freddie is like, oh my God. This yeah, and it was interesting to kind of hear the story behind about how they really fought over the end product and, you know, they actually had to be, like, Freddie had to be brought into the, the editing room at the end. Like, Bowie had this very distinct idea of what he wanted the song to be well i've heard different things that that there was that that um it was just kind of a hey why don't we do something together like they were hanging around the same studio it wasn't particularly planned um that 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 they were supposed to each come in and do their part and not hear the other uh vocal but oh, wow. uh mac reinhold mac who's the the producer of the of the song he tells a story where at one, time, one, one moment, Bowie was kind of hanging around the corner trying to listen to what Freddie was doing, so he was cheating a little bit. Um, the vocals, they say, legend has it, were improvised, that all that stuff that Freddie's doing, that you know, you know, scat and stuff that he's doing, um, it's all improv, and a lot of the vocals from both of them are, are improvised. Um, and they went in apparently with, you know, very excited and about this collaboration, but you had two massive egos that they say at the end of it, Roger Taylor kind of commented on, um, you know, it's a shame we didn't get to do more. We didn't do anything else, but it didn't exactly, it's not that it, I don't think it ended, 
you know, badly. It's just that it was kind of, well, there's that thing, and then they just kind of walked away, I think. Okay. Um, but it's it's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing track. Yeah. You know, when you think about it. And just the, how huge both acts were. And they say, the other story about it is they say the bass line, you know, it was John Deacon. I mean, they I think they all collaborated and get credit on the song, but John Deacon, the bass player, you know, came up with that boom, 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 boom. And they said that he had this great bass line, and then they all went out to dinner, and he forgot it. Huh. So when they came in the next day to do it, he had completely forgotten the, the riff. But luckily, Roger Taylor remembered it eventually, and then they, you know, the rest is history. They got the song. The Ice Ice Baby riff? Yes. <laughs> Sad moment in pop music. What? So yeah, so stuff like that. You know, if we if we know we're not going to get to it, or you know, I think it's really timely. We'll. I think we both kind of just slap stuff up on the Facebook page like that. Like, hey, check this out too. Yeah. If you like us, you'll probably like this stuff. And of course, the big announcement, the big moment that we'll get to in a second. But um, it, it we it, it had happened just after we recorded uh, the the Doctor Who news. Oh so, yeah. Um, kind of hard not to put that up on on the site uh and now we'll get to it here in the in the show obviously but uh yes. let's kick it off with what you're excited about okay uh i am excited about falling sky season three starts this week it starts on the ninth uh you know i've, I've talked about the show before it started off kind of, you know, like a lot of shows. It started off, didn't quite have its voice. You know, it was very much uh, Walking Dead with Aliens. But, uh, you know, they, they stayed with it. And they, they found their direction. And it's been a really interesting uh, and fun show. And uh, fun, you know, in the sense of, hey, it's the apocalypse and aliens are taking all our children. But uh, it's, it's a, it's a well-written, well-crafted show that, uh, you know, I, I really... There's really something to be said, I feel like. A lot of my favorite shows are the, you know, this new format that is you get in, you do 10 to 13 episodes, and you get out. You know, you don't try stretching everything out to this 22, 24-episode story arc. You really, you know, find what your your vision is and, and what it's going to be and, and what what this storyline you're telling is, and, and you do that. And, and I think it has benefited television greatly. It's funny that you say that because the next thing I'm about to talk about, um, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the, you know, six, eight episode arc, especially with British, a lot of British shows. But what I'm about to talk about, I start, I kind of am talking about the opposite of, of, um, of what you're saying in certain cases. And I'll explain in a minute, but, uh, but I, I, I think that's, I think that can make for a lot more concise viewing and more exciting. It's almost like it becomes more filmic to me that way too, yeah. where where you really are watching what looks like a couple of movies or a movie and a sequel or something. Yeah. If it's done the right I mean, way. I you know, I think we've all talked about like twenty four should never be twenty four episodes. They just they never have the content for that much uh, programming. I, you, you know, know so much of that show, and I haven't watched it, I haven't gone back to it since we talked about it in that episode, but so much of that, when I'm watching it, I feel like they're making it up as they go along. <laughs> like, it just, it just, some of that stuff just seems so improvised because they, they are trying to fill up so much time that it doesn't seem like it's that well thought out. That it's like, oh, we gotta get him out of this room this week, and the whole episode is about getting out of this room 
and then next week he's stuck in a car or whatever. Um, yeah. It's it's really you're right. I mean, they really cram in. But I guess that's the premise of the show is taking place in real time or whatever. You know, and, and uh, it's giving you you know a full day. But you're right. It could be it should be a twelve hour, twenty four hour day. Yeah, uh, that was really evident in the first season. They had about 12 hours of good story. And then we all got to sit through another 12 hours of not great stuff. So. See, I remember the... I mean, I, I think of that with the... Um, was it the second season we talked about with the cougar? Yeah, the, the mountain lion. The yes. mountain lion and the, the daughter and... Hanging uh, out with the survivalists and all that. Like, yeah. How yeah. did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and he's a nut that... That you know just happens to think that the nukes were going to go off any day, and pretends that they have to keep her in his house, in his fallout shelter. In his fallout yeah. shelter. It was so bizarre. And then, and then the whole thing was resolved. I think by like you know just clocking him with the two by four. Yeah, and he ended up being nice, right? I think so. He was yeah. a nice. He was a benevolent, crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that uh, Falling Skies is on what T- TNT or something? Uh, Falling Skies is on TNT. That was correct. TNT, and it's, this is the one that's like Noah Wiley is in yep. it, and Spielberg produces it or something. He does. Yep, that's correct. I don't know where that guy finds the time. Boy, I don't either. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, how do you like if he executive produces that? Like, how how many meetings do you think he's going to? I think he goes to all of them. Do you really? I do. Having met the guy and, and, you know, he's worked on projects in the building I work in and stuff, yeah. I mean, you really think with all the stuff he's got going on that he he's going to meetings about, like, like script meetings and things about falling. Because I, I don't think so. I just don't think. I think he's got, I think he's got people that go and download him. I just think he's got, he's too busy. He's got too much going on to be involved in all those meetings. I think he goes to some of them. Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm in no means saying he goes to every meeting. Not at all. But, you know, he's got some time in his calendar now that Smash has freed up. Right, right. But, I mean, just the, the number of things, you know, day-to-day with the studio and with other projects coming up and post-production on this and pre-production on that. And um, what was the one that he was just going to do that got canceled? It was a robot thing? Uh, what was that? Yeah. It was like... Robotopia or something or yeah yeah Ro- Robopocalypse or something like that I think it was yeah it was one of those and uh, I don't know if it was based on anything if it was like based on a graphic novel or uh, anything but that they walked away I guess because it was it was getting too expensive yeah um, but anything to get him back in that you know sci-fi genre I'm for well Transformers four <clears throat> is he executive producing that too. I believe he is, yeah. You know, I just don't think he has much to do with those movies. I, I really don't. I think he just, he's executive producer, he ushers it through, you know, reaps the rewards, but I don't think he's giving notes on tone for those things. I, I, I mean, the one of the two conversations I've actually had with the man, we did talk about Transformers, because it was before the first one. It was while they were working on the first one. And he seemed very knowledgeable and... Uh, about you know the the different iterations of the toys and I mean it was it was surprising that you know he he had that much knowledge of it. Well, I'm sure he's I think he's an encyclopedic when it comes to all that stuff, but I really don't I just don't think he's had much to do with those 
those movies. I just I think it's a Michael Bay thing, and Michael Bay, you know, the buck stops with Bay, sort of. I think. Oh, I yeah, I believe yeah. that. I mean, it is ultimately it's his his vision, and <laughs> clearly, yeah. you know, Spielberg's not coming and going. You know, we need a little more heart from Bumblebee. Yeah, uh, I did. We could find I, a. I, I mean, Spielberg's done some dumb things, but I can't imagine anything as ridiculous as those those two uh, gold tooth wearing cars, Autobots. <laughs> yeah, that second one or whatever it was. God, that was painful. Um, all right, so uh, what I'm excited about it's 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 kind of double edged because it's very bad news, sad news in my mind. But also on the tail end, something kind of exciting. Um, they announced that Matt Smith is leaving Doctor Who. He's leaving the part of the Doctor. What's interesting about this is um, not the sort of misinformation we've been given, because he, he's been asked many times like how long he's going to stick around. And the last time he was asked, it seemed like it was through this season, and then he mentioned next season. It looked like he was going to be around for the next season as well. Through the anniversary, and then that first season after. Um, so that changed. But what's interesting, if you go back to like uh, the David Tennant announcement, he announced it, I think it was like midway through the season that was airing. And so he was saying, this season, I've still got this season to go, and then I'm going to have four specials, you know, uh, interspersed in the next year and a half or whatever it is. Uh, and then with that, you know, whatever other appearances or children in need specials or whatever. So I'm still the doctor. I'm still going to be the guy for a while. The Matt Smith thing that just seems so hinky to me is it's just like, bam, he's gone. Like, he's got the anniversary special, the Christmas special, and he's gone. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to be there all next season and then we're going to have a new person. And, you know, Tennant was still, you know, active as the doctor when they had announced Matt Smith. Yes. So there was a good chunk of time while Tennant was still the doctor. And this is how it goes. I mean, this is how, you know, when Tom Baker was leaving, I believe the announcement was made before the start of his last season. And his, he still had his entire final season. And I'm not sure exactly when, within that time frame, they announced Peter Davison. But it was known through a good chunk of his last season that Peter Davison was taking over as the doctor. And promotional things were being done and photo shoots and all that jazz. Um, so this is really, it seems very abrupt to me. It just seems like all of a sudden, oh, I'm decided to go. That's it. Um, it's also strange that they don't tie these guys into a, a tighter contract. Yeah. You know, um, especially your first guy leaves. <laughs> he's, he, it's, it's known that he's leaving before the second episode even airs of the show coming back. He's decided to leave. And David Tennant, you know, while he did a lot, it's not like these guys, I mean, these seasons are like eight episodes long. You know, there's not a, there's not a huge amount of screen time these guys are, are putting in for this character. So I don't know what is going on that they're so taxed that it's time to move on or they've exhausted the possibilities with this character. Uh, I'm not saying you sh they should stick around for ten years and, you know, get boring. Um, but... Uh, it, it's, well, I don't know if it's that. Is I mean, it feels like, you know, they have blown up in the public consciousness and the in the popular culture, and then they want to use that leverage to move on and do other things. I mean, I hate to think that way, but it it, it kind of seems that way a little bit, and it's it's like, well, Tennant hasn't exactly 
set the world on fire since leaving the part. Um, I'm not saying that he won't or more things won't happen. Um, but, uh, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like, it, it, I just feel bad because it, it, it really is, I'm going to, th- this is going to get really indulgent here and I apologize, but like, it's, it's a different kind of part than, uh, James Bond's, you know, like J- James Bond is, it, you know, you can kind of, you don't have to explain that a new person's coming in to play the part. There are a set of parameters um, if if you go outside of that and you get to this or to that, you go well. That doesn't really seem like James Bond. So there's a there's a framework in place. With the Doctor, you know, it's changed so much over the years. But but one of the things that's that's been a a sort of standard from Tom Baker on, and a little bit of Patrick Troughton as well, is the unpredictability and the eccentricity. And there's a way to do that 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 looks very forced. There were times, and I know I'm not popular when I say this, there were times, especially toward the end of Tennant's, uh, you know, uh, time in the, in the part, where, you know, he would burst into a room, and, oh, look, a refrigerator, oh, look, at that's exciting, it's a bookshelf, oh, look at that over there, oh, I love that, I love those. It was almost like the eccentricity and the, and the, and the wackiness was getting a little forced. And Tom Baker was guilty of it, too, toward the end of, of his time. Um, Matt Smith, I think, has just found the right balance of you don't know what's going to come out of this guy's mouth necessarily. Um, he's still the doctor. Um, he's eccentric without you know going too far, whatever. And that's a real um, that to me is like lightning in a bottle to find that the story that that Stephen Moffat always tells about Matt Smith is they started this three day search of auditions. Everybody in town that was in between this age and this age, whatever it was, everybody came in for this part. And the second person to come in the room was Matt Smith. And Stephen Moffat claims that he knew from the first minute they were, you know, reading with this guy that he was the guy, period. And he said, we still had three days to go with all to see all these people. But I knew in my gut it wasn't going to get any better than this guy. Um, and I, I truly think from the, the moment he appears on screen in the 11th hour, that first episode of his, I just bought it. I just believed that, that he was the guy. Whereas, you know, other doctors, it, it sometimes takes a little while. He just hit the ground running. And it's such a rare thing, I think, for this part because it's such an odd part. Um, now, the exciting well, part of I, I think, too, that he he really, like, the the other bittersweet thing is he gave one of the best performances in that last episode of this season. Oh, yeah. Oh, he... I mean, he was dynamite just through and through in that thing. Yeah, and I say this, too. I've said this before, where it's like, you know, uh, through the history of the show, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Star Trek uh, Into Darkness, and, and, and one of the reasons that you and I are critical or think that certain things didn't work was the, the goodwill that we've got, that we had, you know, for Wrath of Khan and the other movies that had, you know, come along with these characters for so long. But, you know, the show was not known, not really known for its sentiment. I mean, there were moments between Kirk and Spock, but they didn't linger. You know, there were, there were moments here and there of poignancy, but they didn't, they didn't really linger. And Doctor Who never was an emotional show. Even when companions would leave, it never got teary or emotional. There were little moments, but nothing too too heavy. And then when it came back, you know, it's it's there sort of in full force. There's lots of emotion and tears and love and longing and 
and all that stuff, um, which is you know good and, and bad, I suppose, depending on what of a purist you are. But um, I just think that they he hits the right notes, and he was terrific in that last episode um, with all the emotion that sort of you know uh, came with it uh, as well. Um, so the the double edged part of this is I'm sad to see him go. I truly am. I, when I when I heard when I read the news, it was like huh. And the more I thought about it, I was like oh man. We've only got two more episodes with this guy. Like, I really enjoy watching him in this part, uh, and he's gone already, and I wanted to see him do so much more. Um, the exciting bit about this is now we have someone new to look forward to, um, whoever that's, that's going to be. And if Moffat's in charge and kind of leading the way in finding this person, I have no doubt that it's going to be a great, a great choice. Um, of course, this is where it gets weird with the Internet, and everybody's, you know, making uh, assumptions and predictions and all kinds of silliness that we've had for, for many, many years. Um, but uh, you said that today might be the day, as we're recording this, that we might find out today who the, the new guy is. Yeah, by the time this is posted, we might know. There, there's a rumor going around that uh, apparently someone knows something and it is forcing the BBC's hand to make this announcement sooner than they wanted to. So uh, we might be finding out, supposedly this evening, This is we're talking on Saturday, uh, that we know who the next doctor is. Well, now I'm reading something here. It says, BBC deny, this is today, okay. BBC deny new Doctor Who, well, the new doctor, will be announced today after rumors of Matt Smith's replacement would be revealed. So now they're saying, um, keeping track of the news, blah, blah, blah. The BBC claimed they'd already done the official photo shoot and were set to reveal the identity of the next doctor early to avoid it being done by the Sunday papers tomorrow. Yeah. Three names they gave as contenders were Domino Gleason, Daniel Kalua, and Dominic Cooper. Yep. Uh, but it looks like they're going to have to wait a bit longer for the official Twitter account denied. Anything would happen today tweeting, we can confirm there is no Doctor Who announcement planned for today. So there you go. Well, we'll see. That's the, you know, that's the mirror in the UK, and they're not exactly uh, <clears throat> very reliable. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the, in the lore of Doctor Who, he's only able to regenerate 12 times, right? That's right. So there will only be 13 guys. That's right, but... Now, they may have found a way to sneak in an extra guy, which is what we may be seeing, you know, uh, at the end of this last episode. We don't, we don't quite know where that's going yet. Well, if, if the new series has shown us anything since it's come back, it's like nothing is really etched in stone. Like, nobody really stays dead. No one really stays gone. I think we're going to, you know, Amy and Rory are going to be gone for good, I think, but... Um, there's always a loophole that kind of comes in um, to things. And with, when, it, when you're dealing with, you know, time streams, um, it gets really hinky. So could John Hurt be what we think he is, what, what we're being told he is? Could it be some alternate timeline? Um, I don't know. And, and, and is, he, is his life, you know, with, with the character of the Master, um, I could be wrong about this because I'm, I'm a little rusty on this, but when the Master came back in the mid-'70s, he was a shell of his former self because he had run out of regenerations or something. And at some point, he was able to take over another body or get another lease on life and get um, 
new new regenerations. Oh, so okay. they're always kind of playing with that sort of mythology. So maybe there's a I'm sure there's a if it, if it means keeping the show going, I'm sure there's a way they're gonna they're gonna keep um, keep him regenerating. Yeah, I'm sure if anyone is going to get us out of that bind, it will be Moffat. Right, he'll find a way. Yeah. He'll find some way. Um, see, I, when I read the name Dominic Cooper, you know Dominic, Dominic Cooper was um, Tony Stark's dad in Captain America. Yep. Now I see that name and I go, that's all wrong. He, he's all wrong for the Doctor. It, it shouldn't be. It should be. That, that's why I talk about this lightning in a bottle thing. You know... He, he shouldn't be the best-looking guy in the room. Uh, there's plenty of that on television. He should be the oddest-looking guy in the room. That if he is sexy or, you know, the people do find him attractive, it sneaks up on you. You know, Tom Baker had it. Uh, John Pertwee had it with exaggerated features. Christopher Eccleston had it. Matt Smith has it. Those unique faces that don't look like anyone else. That's what was so neat about Matt Smith. When those first pictures came out, you're like, what is that face? Like, where did they find this guy? You know, he's just just odd looking, and I love it. Um, I don't think he should be a David Tennant. I just think that's wrong for the part. Um, it may get in more viewers and may make him you know, more sexy across the board, but I don't think it's right for the for the character. Well, so, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of people are talking about who it will be and what will be next. Will we get a female Doctor Who? Will we get a black Doctor Who? Uh, you know, the, uh, there's people like you know Eddie Izzard has said that he would quit whatever he was doing, whatever job, if they offered him that part. You know, that's like his dream role. Uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, you know the guy from Jekyll, Nesbitt, James Nesbitt. Yeah. You know, he's worked with Moffat before, and he's a weird-looking guy. Yeah. But he's a little older, but, you know, we've seen older Doctors before. But both of those, I don't know if we'll go back to that, but... Both of those names, you know, I, the problem with both those guys is they're so identifiable already. That, that's the other thing that's, that's tricky, is it, you know, Tennant, David Tennant was known. He wasn't well-known. You know, Matt Smith had done a couple of things, but he wasn't nearly as well-known as, as David Tennant. Eccleston... Really, Eccleston and Paul McGann are, are two of the better-known names to have played the part you know, in its history that really had some kind of uh, recognition, you know, kind of. Um, the problem with Izzard, who is, would physically look great and would be great in the part, and Nesbitt, is that they're very, well, very well-known. Uh, Do you think Nesbitt's well-known? I think he's very well-known in the U.K. He's, he's, okay. he's had... Many, many. He's had like a dozen series that he's been in. Uh, he's very, very well known in in the UK. Um, you know, he's he's recognized here, but not not that well. But um, yeah, I just think it it also needs to be someone that you don't know too well. So I I think it's got to be a guy that's he's not the prettiest guy in the room. He's not a household name, and he you know he walks that line of heroic and eccentric and pacifist and angry and all those things that are it's such an amazing part you know they've, they've really turned it it used to be tom baker always talked about it as he'd always say it's not really an acting part because he's just good he can't really waver much either way and so he he he, he reacts more to things takes charge but he's it's not really there's nowhere to really go with the part 
I'm not sure if that's a really fair assessment, but certainly since it's come back, they've found layer upon layer for this character uh, of darkness and mystery, and they brought that mystery back, and where does he come from, and is he all good? Can he has have terrible things happen that he's been part of, you know? And it, it makes it that much more interesting. It's an, it's a really great part now that they've they've expanded it. So um, I think they need to find someone too that's really really poor that needs money. Yeah, and that that's my bit of advice. Whoever you get, lock them in to like a six year contract, and just go. You're not going anywhere. That's right. You're, you're you know we can get rid of you if we want if if you don't work out, but if it works, you're staying. Like. I'm just shocked at this. You know that he his first episode was 2010. Wow. We've had this guy for three years. When you think about yeah. television and and iconic shows or, or or leading parts or whatever, like you know what I mean? There are shows that that in in that are there are U.S. shows. I'm not saying this is better or worse, but there are U.S. shows on the same amount of time that have like doubled or tripled the amount of screen time he's had. Yeah, it's just kind of like really. That's when I kind of go. Well, what happened? Did something happen here where like suddenly you're you're off? Uh, it's it's very strange to me that it's so abrupt. The announcement's so abrupt. There's no lead time. And it, like you're thinking they gave him the boot. I don't know what it is. It just seems like it's it's. I don't think in the history of the show has there ever been something so abrupt with the leading with the leading uh, actor. Um, the closest would be um, Eccleston, and, and that was what we found out much later had to do with the production team, uh, him not getting along with this team. He's always been very vague about it, but um, that was a personal thing, uh, the reason that he left the show. But my God, the show just comes back after all these years of fans trying to get it back, and they put so much money and effort into it and promotion and everything, and it's going to be the biggest thing on the BBC ever. And it comes back, and by the second episode, the world knows he's leaving the part at the end of the season. No surprise, no, no nothing. Um, so that 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 you know, it obviously didn't do any harm because Tennant came in, guns blazing, and 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 I we'll, we'll stop talking about this. I know we've talked about it too much, but that's the other thing is Tennant comes in. You know, uh, Eccleston lays the groundwork. He leaves very early, but there's enough room for to not do enough damage. But Tennant comes in, you know, really makes the part his own. And he was so good in it, and for many people was so definitive, and for a generation so definitive, that they thought, no one's going to top this guy. And then Matt Smith yeah. comes along and does the unthinkable. And, and in many ways becomes more popular than David Tennant. And, and, you know, bigger in the U.S. in certain ways and huge in the U.K. Um, and at least keeps it going and doesn't lose the momentum that Tennant had created. Um, and now he's gone. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm excited to see what, what's, who's going to be next and where it's going to go. But um, very disappointed that he's, he's leaving. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I, don't, I can't say I'm surprised because it felt like it was coming. Yeah, uh, it's just a little sooner than expected. I felt like it. Yeah, I felt like it. We weren't going to get him forever. Both he and Moffat were going to leave at some point, but I just didn't think it was going to happen this soon. I thought we'd have at least another season, um, but it just seems. I mean, we've only got two episodes left. That's it. 
Yep. So very, very strange. Uh, so November 23rd uh, is the anniversary, and I believe it's only an hour-long episode, which is very strange. And then yep. we've got the Christmas episode, which could be a continuation. I don't know. Um, but uh, but that's it. Farewell, Matt Smith. We, yep. we miss you. Uh, what else you got going on? Well, you know, this, uh, uh, all the, there's been a lot of talk about Man of Steel. There's been more trailers. Uh, it's, it's coming soon. Uh, I've got tickets to see it on Father's Day. I'm going to go see it in the IMAX 3D. Uh, can't wait to see that. But there was a really interesting story that I heard this week, and I've heard it twice now. First, I heard it on the radio the first time, but then I actually heard Russell Crowe tell the story last night uh, on the the rarest of occasions that I watch The Tonight Show once a year. Uh, but this was so interesting. So Russell Crowe, back in, I think, 2000, 2001, was shooting Proof of Life uh, at this boarding school. And uh, it happened to be the school that Henry Cavill went to. And Henry Cavill was an extra in one of the scenes. And uh, he had a... There was another actor that played Russell Crowe's son that, you know, was at the school and stuff. And at one point he was watching this kid, you know, they were playing uh, soccer, football, and he was just like, boy, that kid's really good. <laughs> like, just sort of standing off to the side, seeing it, you know, in between scenes, like, wow, look at that kid go. And a little later, that kid walked up to him, you know, between takes and just kind of wanted to talk to him about acting and like, how do you, you know, what did you do? How did you start? And uh, Russell Crowe was sort of like, you know, you, you see a lot of these kids and there's just kind of nothing there. But he said, I, I remember when I was talking to this kid, like he just had this fire in his eyes, like, well, you know, that kid could do something someday. And uh, the movie was over and it was a you know, couple of weeks later and Russell Crowe was putting together a package for the kid, the actor that played his son, uh, who I guess also went to that school in, in real life and, you know, put in like a you know, like a rugby jersey and like one of the al his albums from his band and some Vegemite or something. And, and he just thought, well, while I'm doing this, I'll put one together for that other kid <laughs> and put in this little note just saying, you know, it really seemed like you've got the fire. Keep at it. Uh, the And put a signed picture of him as Gladiator saying, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step and put it in there and sent it to that kid, <laughs> you know, who later turned out to be Henry Cavill. And that was like one of the most inspirational things that got him into acting. Wow. And so they were on set together. They were doing the initial training, uh, like the, the fight choreography and, and just, you know, they had to get in shape. Russell Crowe would put on a bunch of weight for this last movie. And it was like in his contract to slim down. And he kept looking at, at Henry Cavill working with the other trainer on the other side. Just keep thinking, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy? And he said something to, like, his trainer, and he was like, do I know him? And he just said this very sort of knowing, yeah, you do. <laughs> it was just like, he couldn't figure it out. He was asking his agent, and his agent was trying to say, well, he was, you know, he was uh, a maitre d' at this restaurant. And he's like, I've never been to that restaurant. And then he finally, uh, you know, they were doing a scene together, and it was kind of between scenes. He's like, I feel like I know you from somewhere, and it's driving me crazy. And he said, do you remember when you did Proof of Life, a, a kid came up and asked you about acting? And it, it, Russell Crowe was like, it just felt like something punched me in the face. I could not believe all these years later I'm talking to that kid, and he's my son now, you know, in this movie. So I thought that was just amazing. Wait, so you're telling me the first time that he interacted with, with Henry Cavill on the set, on the Superman at all, A Man of Steel, was when they were, when they were uh, doing choreography and stuff? 
uh, they had to do training, three months of training before the film, yeah, to, to sort of do fight choreography and slim down uh, so they could get in their spandex. And when he asked so, another guy, how, would I might, how might I know him? The guy says, well, he was maitre d' at a restaurant? Well, that's, uh, he was asking, uh, Russell Crowe asked his agent, like, I feel like I know this guy, but I don't know where. Well, wouldn't, he, the agent, wouldn't the agent go, well, yeah, he was in Immortals, and he's been in the Tudors, and he's been in this and that. Why did he go to the, I don't understand why he would go to the maitre d'. Wouldn't he have been a maitre d' like 10, 12 years ago? You're going to have to ask the agent that. Well, no, I don't just, have that I, piece of I'm the story. I'm sorry to zero in on that, but it seems weird that it's like, hey, this guy over here, the Henry Cavill that's, that's playing Superman, the, you know, is really uh, kind of a famous British actor. How would I have known him? Where would I have seen him? And the agent goes, well, I don't know. He used to, he used to be a UPS delivery guy like 20 years ago. It just seems like such an odd response. I don't that's know. an amazing story. That's like, that's like, again, it's that weird lightning in a bottle thing of like just... You know, how does that happen? And like the, the, you know, the way the planets line up that, you know, there's a million ways that Cavill's career could have gone or things could have happened. That's the other thing, too. Is the more I read about this guy, you know, he was up for Superman a while back when the McGee was doing it. And yep. it was this J.J. Uh, Abrams script. And, um, and it didn't work out or I don't know if they were going to possibly go with him or if it was going to be someone else. I mean, obviously the project didn't happen, but I don't think he, I don't think he was going to get it, but he read for it. Yeah. He was one of the front runners. They still thought he was a little young. They were, they were trying to play the Superman younger, but they didn't think he was quite there yet. And they, they keep asking him like, would you, have, do you think it would have been different had you done it then? And you know, are you a different person now and all this stuff? But um, I mean, what a, that's that's a, that's an amazing amazing story, and it also doesn't seem like that long ago. It doesn't seem like that long ago that he made Proof of Life, and that that Cavill is the age that he is now. Like, what is Cavill like? Twenty eight or something? Uh, he'd probably be right around thirty because this was, I think, two thousand, and uh, he was fifteen so at he the must time. Have, yeah, like fourteen, fifteen years old. Yeah, asking him all this stuff about uh, about acting. Um, that must have just made Russell Crowe's day, you know, life. Absolutely. That's cool. That's a great story. That's that's very cool. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I, well, I'm looking forward to. It. Yeah. The more I see, the more uh, the more excited I get for that thing. And it's coming out. Yeah. What is it? June. Week. June 14th is when it opens. Unless you got tickets at Walmart, and then you get to see it on the 13th. Right. Right, so ticket, so you can get okay, so you get tickets at Walmart, and it, but is it just certain theaters you have to go to or something? I forget how that works. Yeah, certain theaters. It's only at I think seven thirty on that Thursday. Uh, but there's been a couple of other things uh, that they've released tickets for the tenth, like trying to fill, the, I guess, some of the press screenings and stuff in certain cities. So I know it's showing at the ArcLight uh, in Hollywood on the tenth. Okay. I was I actually picked up a couple of passes, but I don't think I can go because I'm going to be at downtown for E3. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's really, it's really getting more and more exciting. Oh, and, and the other news, you know, sort of that connects to that is they have announced that the Desolation of Smaug Hobbit Two trailer is going to be attached to Man of Steel. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen. Um, 
you know, I got the DVD a while back, and then there was a special day you could go online or something and see the trailer. Or something. Uh, yeah, they did some footage and did a Q&A, yeah. Yeah, and I missed it completely. Uh, I did too. So I haven't seen anything from this new, this new one, but I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. That should be, that should be cool. Um, and then what, when does Wolverine come out? Wolverine, I think, is July. Because there was a new trailer that came out for that, right? Or did we already talk about that? I think we talked about that last time, that it had just come out. Well, there's out. a toy line that's out now, too. Have you seen this? Uh, I have not seen it in stores, but I've seen pictures online, and I, you know, I saw it at Toy Fair. Yeah, it's just one of those strange, like, it's, it's, it's being brought out to sort of tie into the film, and then there's, like, Silver Samurai and, like, a, you know, a civilian-looking Wolverine and a ninja guy kind of thing, but it's not... They don't really look like they do in the movie. Yeah, I think the ninja guy is actually a repurposed GI Joe figure. Oh, is it really? Yeah, like because because all the figures have like limited articulation. Yeah, they're five points of articulation. Five points, yeah. And then there's like a there's like a talking Wolverine and some other things. But I just thought it was funny how like they're you know it's not really an official movie tie-in, but it's it is tied into the release of the movie. Right, yeah. You know, four four figures, a 12-inch figure, a 10-inch figure, um, and some accessories, basically. Um, trying to get what they can out of this Wolverine thing. Because it is strange that this doesn't have an action figure line. It is a little bit. You would think they would at least do kind of like what they did with Iron Man, where they have like a kid's line and then a six-inch Marvel Legends line that, that ties in at least, you know, if it's not movie versions, it's comic versions. I'm, I'm a little surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, even, like, the first Wolverine, we got that, um, there was a, a Marvel Select, right? Wasn't there, like, a Marvel Select figure with the with the bones coming out of his hands, kind of? Yeah, there there is a Marvel Select coming from Diamond for this film. Oh, there is? Yeah, there absolutely Oh, is. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay, when does that come out? Uh, that should be out pretty soon, I would imagine. Probably in the next two or three weeks. And is he, like, in like a suit? Is he like? What? I I want to say I'll have to look at my. Look. Well, I don't. I don't think I could take a picture of it. Now that I think about it, they wouldn't allow photos. Uh, so yeah, I, I I almost he's not in costume. He is a civilian-looking Wolverine, but I can't remember if he's shirtless or not. Oh, I hope. Let's here's hoping. I know. I know. Um. Yeah. It looks like he's shirtless. Yeah. Okay. He's shirtless, and there's there's one. Um, with a sword, I think, or maybe they, maybe it's just—is there like an alternate with like an alternate head, or is it? I, th- I think there is two of them. Yeah, comes with two different heads. It's a pretty cool-looking yeah. figure. Yeah, it's it's a great likeness. It's amazing likeness. Yeah, but he's got a screaming head. He looks in immense pain, uh, with bones coming out of his hands. He might be cold. He, you know, he doesn't have a shirt. He's on. got a different head where he's just—he's got his teeth. He's gritting his teeth. And he's got a sword, and then there's the the normal head where he's just got his shirt off and he's uh, watching TV, watching TV, he's on a sofa, having a beer, yeah, uh, with his claws out. But it's a pretty neat, it's a really good likeness. Yeah, really good likeness. Yeah, Diamond has been great about you know sort of filling those gaps that that we're not getting in the mass market. So kudos to them. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Um, I would think it would have been cool to see him in a suit. You know, like the suit and tie that he's wearing in the trailer? Yeah. I thought that'd be kind of a cool cool figure to have. Well, you should take that head and put it on one of the uh, 
like the Reservoir Dogs figures. If I was good at that sort of thing, I would. <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, uh, what else you got going on in your world? Well, other toy, you know, if we're talking about toys, uh, the company Zika has announced that they're going to be doing three and three quarter inch six million dollar man figures done in that sort of retro uh, style, like Kenner-esque style, which is interesting because Kenner did actually create some prototypes of figures that they never released as action figures. Uh, they ended up using, I think, like the torso and re-sculpting the arms of both Steve Austin and Bigfoot and, and putting them in these weird little cars for a racing set that came out back in the day, but never as, like, actual figures. Now, Zika, uh, this is their first sort of foray into the three and three-quarter inch stuff. They were known for doing... They did the, those two amazing eight-inch sort of Mego-esque Buck Rogers figures, the Gil Gerard Buck Rogers. And they had a a great body that they had created, like this proprietary thing. that I think they've sold the diamond now. But uh, I, I guess those didn't do well for them, so they kind of got out of that game, and, and they're trying to do kind of these retro uh, three-and-three-quarter-inch properties. So interesting. Right now it's Steve Austin in the red jumpsuit, Bigfoot, and then I've seen now uh, a, a blue version of Steve Austin, too, in a blue jumpsuit that's shown up like on Entertainment Earth and Big Bad Toy Store. So kind of interesting. Uh, I wonder if he blew himself. What? Yeah. We're calling back to Arrested Development. Um, yeah, it's funny because when we when we uh, when we launched the Venture Brothers eight inch figures, mm-hmm. um, as I've told many times, like that was a collaboration between us and the guys on the show, where they kind of always wanted something like this, and you know, for a number of reasons, we wanted to do the retro thing, and it, it worked out, whatever. But then, of course, you had a lot of naysayers and a lot of fans. Why didn't you do three and three quarter? And how come you didn't? And so I remember talking to um, to Jackson Public once about it. You know, he said, "Oh, just ignore him." And I said, "Yeah, I know, but I thought, you know, if we do do it, if we ever do get to do three and three quarter inch, just to piss everybody off, I want to do them just like they were back in the '70s. I want to do Kenner style, you know, five <laughs> five points of articulation um, to make them, you know, just the whole point of the, the you know the the show is to like embrace." Uh, it, the toy line and the show is to embrace the mediocrity of the characters in the show. And I thought yep. that'd be great if we did three and three quarter inch figures in limited articulation like that. Um, but I thought that would just piss everybody off. So <laughs> we ended up making them a little more articulated, but, um, yeah. but yeah, they look, they look fun. So I hope they, I hope they, they work for everybody. Yeah. You know, uh, in other toy news, we've got Hasbro's announced finally the rest of their Comic-Con exclusives. We knew that we'd get a Star Wars black Boba Fett with carbonite block. But now we have seen like the My Little Pony, which is the little DJ Pony, DJ P-O-N-3, uh, who actually is like 50 bucks and has like Swarovski crystal like on it. Uh, I don't know if people are going to go crazy for that or not. Uh, they've got a $150 version of Gem, the Glitter and Gold Gem, which is truly outrageous. Uh, a Gem and the Holograms, like a doll or something? That is correct. A 12-inch Barbie-esque doll. That's 150 bones. Wow. Yeah. Glitter and Gold. Uh, and then they're, they're doing a, a Marvel Legend, that's the 6-inch box set, of the Thunderbolts. 
So you've got like Judith Chambers, Ghost, Crossbones, the modern Luke Cage, and Moonstone. And it comes in uh, like a really cool looking box for that. Uh, they're doing that really fun one, Marvel Universe, which is a three and three quarter inch line. They're doing a Deadpool, uh, f- I don't know, five pack maybe? That's got Deadpool, Lady Deadpool, uh, whatever the Champion of the Universe Deadpool, uh, Kid Pool, Dog Pool, and like that Squirrel version. Uh, they all come in a package that looks like a taco truck. And then the packaging for the individual characters inside, they're like stuffed inside taco shells. Huh. So that's that's kind of a fun one. And then the G.I. Joe one seems like it's going to be enormous. So they've got uh, one of the jets painted to look like uh, uh, jet fire with, you know, the, the full red pack and the engines on the back. And then they're using one of the uh, the old school Joe vehicles that's going to be redecorated to look like Hound, one of the old GI Joe vamps. Uh, I guess there is a uh, there's a Baroness that comes with uh, she's walking Rampage, Ravage, Ravage the uh, the Panther, which was one of the cassette tapes. And then uh, I think there's one other figure that comes with it, one of the other uh, Snake Eyes with an Autobot logo on his outfit. So those have always been fun. I, I've I've never been like a GI Joe guy, but I was a, a big Transformers Generation One guy. So those things that, that kind of tug at me a little bit. Uh, but you know, to have a Baroness like walking Ravage on a collar, like that, that's pretty cool actually. So uh, there might be some standing in line for me. At Comic-Con this year. Uh, to get all the Hasbro stuff? To get some of that stuff, yeah. Wow. And then Diamond has announced some of their stuff, too. They've got some Mini-Mates coming. They're doing uh, a Giant Silent Bob 2-pack that I think is going to be black and white. They're launching their Lost in Space, their vintage Lost in Space line, and they're doing a, a black and white 2-pack of Dr. Smith and the Robot. Uh, they've got a couple of Robbie the Robot exclusives. One is blue and one is purple, which I guess they're kind of launching that. Uh, they've got a one of their vinyl banks. That's one of the Star Wars astromechs. That's R2-B1, one of the repair droids from Naboo. They've got uh, Walking Dead 4-pack. That's Herschel's Farm of Minimates. Uh, and then there's a Wolverine Saga Mini Mate 4-pack that's got four different versions. And then the thing I know I'll be getting, they're continuing that line of Bear Bricks that are like uh, recreating some of the Super Powers stuff. So they're doing a Riddler and a Superman in that line. Uh, Riddler was not one of the regular 33 Super Powers figures, but he was released uh, under the Super Amigos line that was uh, a foreign releases, and he was basically a repainted Green Lantern figure. So a lot of people do consider him to maybe kind of be the 34th Superpowers figure. He's really tough to find, but uh, they're, they're clearly uh, giving an homage to that in their release. So I'll be tracking those guys down, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Lots happening. Uh, Comic-Con's right around the corner. Yeah, we're starting to find out a lot of stuff about that. So Yeah. It's a little overwhelming sometimes. It's getting there, yeah. Just too much stuff, and, and it comes up very fast, and it's like information overload again. But, um, God, this is going to be... I don't know what this is going to be for me. 
how many years I've gone. In a, is it maybe 10 years almost? Oh, wow. I've probably. Gone, maybe. Maybe two th- I might have gone the first time, might have been 2005. No, 2004, maybe. So it's coming up okay. on 10 years that I've gone to this thing, which is really strange. Yeah, last year was the, was the what was it? The 10th anniversary of the first? No, it couldn't have been 10th. The first time I went was 92. But then I, that was just I drove from Oklahoma to San Diego. But then I started going every year from 97 on. Okay, yeah, this, I mean, I'm pretty sure mine was 2004, maybe 2003, but I think 2004. Um, I, that doesn't even seem right that it's been 10 years. I, I, that means I've been 10 different times, 10 different hotel rooms, like, it's, that's hard to fathom. But Smelled a lot of sweaty guys in those 10 years. Bumped into a lot of, lot of sweaty cosplayers. In that time, that's for sure. Um, well, I was lucky enough to see. Speaking of upcoming things, some pilots, uh, some NBC pilots uh, that are just a lot of fun. Uh, two of them in particular. One is the Michael J. Fox show oh, coming uh-huh. on, and I just can't say enough good things about this show. It's really cool. It's just great to see him back. Um, obviously, you know he's he looks a little different than he used to for a number of reasons, but. Um, there's just such goodwill about him, I think, and such good feeling about the character he plays is is a, a, a former a former news anchor that's that's left television because of uh, you know Parkinson's getting Parkinson's disease and um, he uh, but but it's the the whole it's kind of paralleling you know how much people love Michael J Fox this character is like you know he walks down the street and it's like hey man you doing man good to see you you know everybody just loves this guy. So his agent wants to get him back on television in a big way, and he's got you know a family and like three kid, wife and three kids, and um, he's juggling all that stuff and whether he gets back on television. And but it's just you know we just if you love Michael J. Fox and you want to see him as long as you can for you know for whatever reason, um, you should tune into this thing because I think it's going to be um, a very fun show and it's it's just cool to have him back. I think. Now, as I understand it, he's able to do this because of some new medication that sort of helps control his Parkinson's more. Is that right? Yeah, he's he's um, you know he can he can do like a full day. He can you know he can he can shoot a full day. But you know there are times where um, he just needs to take breaks or or you know the meds kind of kick in or whatever. But yeah, I think it is a new a new combination of of meds. Um, but you know the. I, I don't think they want to play it up too much, but I mean, you know, the the, the guy, he's, he's fully functioning with Parkinson's and he's out there doing this new show and he's doing publicity for it. And, you know, it, uh, you know, all that stuff can really take its toll uh, oh, and, sure. it, and it's just draining. So it's just, it's just amazing that he wants to do this show and uh, he's put so much effort into it um, and coming back to television and is really putting a face on Parkinson's. If he hasn't already, you know, he did when the news broke and then when he went to form the foundation and spend all his time, you know, working toward a cure, now to come back. And, you know, um, look, there's no two ways about it. Physically, he's not Alex P. Keaton anymore. He's not Marty McFly. He looks a little older, just as we all do. Um, But... You know, if you've seen him in interviews, if you've seen anything of him in the past ten years or so, you you know what I'm talking about. He's he's 
just his movements and his his uh, body you know control is different than it used to be because of Parkinson's. Uh, That's right. Yeah. There's never been anything like that on television. Um, you know, to to say this is what's happened to me. Now I'm going on television and talking about it for however long I can and embracing the disease and uh, making it part of the character. I think is pretty remarkable. Um, to, to do that, I'm sure there are cases in the past where I can think of things, but but anyway, I just think I just think it's great to um, and very very noble to to do it uh, for whatever his, you know reasoning is. But he's definitely putting a, a face to the thing. Um, yeah. So, and, but it's it's actually a real fun show, and it's very well written and cynical and goofy, and and it really plays to his charms. The other one is uh, is a mid season replacement. They, NBC is doing a television version of About a Boy, the Nick Hornby book, which became a movie with uh, Hugh Grant, uh, Tony Collette, and um, a very young Nicholas Holt, who's now the Beast in uh, X-Men First Class. Uh, He was the first thing he did as a kid was About a Boy. One of my favorite movies, one of my, probably my favorite, high fidelity in that one, probably my favorite Nick Hornby books. Uh, But it's just great. It, it, it reboots the story of this guy, uh, you know, uh, and this kid and their friendship and everything. And, um, you know, it's only the first episode, but it, it, it kind of, uh, like I say, it like reboots the original story uh, with this new cast. And, um, and it's really good. It's, it's a lot of fun. And the kid... Is it, is it set in the UK? No, it's set, it's set in um, San Francisco, actually. Okay. Uh, but it doesn't really lose anything by, by, by doing that. Um, it's kind of universal that this kid's kind of lost and this guy's a, a, a grown child kind of thing and um, they find each other and, uh, and it's, it's, it's well done. It's, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, and then I also saw um, the J.J. Abrams uh, show called Believe. Uh, it's a new series. And tell me about that one. I, I've, I've heard of it, but I, I couldn't tell you what it's about. You know... Um, it's funny you say it now because I'm getting it. I'm getting it confused with this other one that I saw, and now I feel bad because I, I'm, 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 I don't want to get it wrong. There's another one that I saw that's a one-word title that is uh, about these bunch of students on a bus, and Gillian Anderson is in it. Oh my gosh! Now I'm going to get this mixed up. You know, I better not talk about it because it's another. There's another show that's like an Abrams type has created it. And it's mm-hmm. a one-word title, and I just saw that like two days before it, and I'm going to get the two of them mixed up. Um, oh, okay. So I don't want to say too much about it because I'll, I'll get it wrong. But I did see that, so I'll talk about it next time. Uh, and, okay. it, and it was it was it was you know interesting, and you kind of go, oh, I I want to see where that's going to go, you know, once it once the lights you know came up, kind of. Um, so uh, yeah, some good stuff uh, coming up. So so Jillian Jillian Anderson's also in Hannibal right now. Yes, she is. And that just. Uh, they're almost done with their first season, and they've just got picked up for a second season. It was kind of a question mark whether there'd be more of them, but uh, yeah, that's that's been a fascinating show. And they get away with stuff you can't believe you're seeing on regular network TV. I haven't seen much of it. I've, on, I've only seen like three episodes. It's 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 dynamite. <laughs> it really is. I've got like six of them, but I've I've only seen I've only seen three of them. So maybe I should I should dip back in. Yeah, it's, it's well worth checking out. And then the other thing, uh, also a J.J. Abrams thing, also on NBC, Revolution just finished their first season. Uh, and that was that was another one. I think my wife and I were watching it, and I think she was digging it more than me. 
they every it's got a great premise and uh, story arc to it, but there uh, some episodes have had some of the worst dialogue writing you ever heard on TV. Uh, but you just you never knew where they were going to end up. But it, it's been one of those things where it, it feels like it's another one of those learnings from you know J.J. Abrams' team where it's like we can't treat this like Lost and to pardon pun keep everyone in the dark you know since there's no lights uh, you have to keep the information flowing and and treat people with respect and make sure they know you know where you're going and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were able to do that. It was, you know, it ended up as a very successful first season. I feel like they, they, uh, the arc they took it on and where it ended up, uh, I, th- I thought was really, really interesting. And and boy, left it wide open for next season. Uh, really put put a, a nice cliffhanger on it with dropping some new information in your lap. So yeah, I think the thing that started to kind of turn me off was was some of the acting and just some of the some of the writing, I guess. Um, yeah. Again, I, I love the idea, but it, it started to kind of feel like a lost thing in a way where like you kept flashing back to before the lights went off and how we got to this and where did the, you know, who's got all the little keychain things and how did they have like there's a lot of questions being raised. And I started to feel like, boy, I hope they're going to start answering this stuff. Like, you know, does the mom know that she's more than she's let on? Is the dad really dead? You know, and you got to keep going back to these flashbacks and start to keep a notebook of of just what the heck is going on. And I thought, boy, this is sounding familiar. Um, so I think I started to kind of lose interest. Yeah, um, and I, I was sort of the same way. I was just kind of watching because she was watching, but it was, you know. But it they it felt like they sort of figured it out and, and rallied the, the troops and, and moved on. So and and ended you know in a successful, satisfying first season. So good for them. Yeah, you know what we talked about with you know whatever eighty percent of of the pilots that are launched don't make it. Yeah, yeah, like so, 80 percent, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing in in TV that we should talk about from this past week, and and I think we'll have to talk about it a little spoiler free, and I'm I'm not even sure you have seen it, but last week's episode of Game of Thrones really became something big in the in the pop culture world. Um I had I haven't seen it but I read about it that major characters were were killed. So yeah, it was something that uh people that read the books knew it was coming. But people that don't read the books, it would have been something very very shocking and and I'll I'll try and talk about it as spoiler free as possible because I know a lot of people watch it on DVD and stuff, but yeah, it was one of those things where uh just, I mean, there are there were reaction videos like online of, of people. There were there are people that were that you know they were they liked some of the characters that were killed and you know like it blew up on Twitter. There was a certain account that someone created that just sort of culled the hostile reactions to what happened. That was very sort of uh, amusing and, and entertaining. Uh, I have not read the books yet, so I was shocked by you know what happened. And I knew I could see on Facebook that day on Sunday that something big was happening, and that I knew there would probably be some spoilers. So Abby had to go to a softball game, so I was like, "Well, I'm going to be off the internet until she gets back, and we can sit down and watch this because I don't want it spoiled for me." So uh, it was just very interesting to see how strong a reaction people had to that, and it was sort of the dichotomy of the the smugness of 
of the people that had read the book, like, oh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've all seen this coming. And then just the people that are just along for the ride with the show, just being shocked and some people being very, very angry uh, at, at what they did. So that, that, was, that was really sort of interesting to see. I, I, you don't see that too much. Uh, I can't think of it happening on too many other shows like that. You mean that just the abrupt killing of, of characters? Just the reaction and the, the kind of split in fandom of people that knew it was coming and people that didn't. Yeah, um, like I say, I, I'm kind of out of it because I don't, I don't really follow the, the show. Um, I, again, I think it's a great show. I think it's you know, well done and everything. Um, I just, I'm just not that interested. I just, I just don't know um, that, I'm, that I've ever been that interested in it. Um, even though it's well done. I don't know if it's just the, the, the period thing or the medieval thing. I don't know. Um, but I, I knew something was brewing because there were just these things that were posted that were just so shocking about, um, about this development. Um, I remember being shocked by the Sean Bean thing in the right. first season. That was like, oh, wow. You know? um, but, you know, that's just that's that whole, like, it's that Walking Dead, Sopranos, um, God, you remember that episode of The Sopranos with um, Joe Pantoliano? Joey Pants. Do you remember that episode though, where yeah. where where you 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 didn't know? I mean, you knew things were were deteriorating between he and Tony Soprano, but then all of a sudden it just blows up in the kitchen and they have that fight. Yeah. And you think, well, it's just going to be a fight, and then it it really goes all the way. You know what I mean? And you're just going, oh, they're really going to do this? Like this this is really happening? You know? Um, it's just oh, that whole thing of just like anything can happen in these shows and the actors, they always talk about it where they get their scripts and they think, am I going to die this week? Are they going to call me into the office this week? Like, you know, they, it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I was just talking about this with somebody. Do you remember um, the original um, MASH, you know, TV series? Yep. With, uh, you know, you had uh, McIntyre and Hawkeye and Henry and Radar and Frank Burns. So before, uh-huh. before BJ came in, before Colonel Potter and everybody else, do you remember when Henry left the show? Oh, yeah. I mean, there had never been anything like that on television before. Yeah. Certainly not in a sitcom. That you would, And they, this show wasn't even like a top ten show at the time. It was... It was it did well, but it wasn't like the biggest show on television that it, it eventually became biggest sitcom. And they killed this beloved character off in a sitcom, you yeah. know. And the argument was, well, you know, it's a war. They're in the middle of a war. Things are going to happen like this. And they're like, yeah, but it's a sitcom. And it started to the tone started to change, and it started to be like, well, we can do these things in. We can add, you know, we can put rape in an episode of All in the Family or, you know, abortion in Maud or whatever, you know, and, and it, it really started to change the, the tone of television where, like, anything was possible. And I think you've got this new thing going now where the networks initially explored, like, in the 70s, pushing these boundaries, that now we're seeing that with, with um, you know, the, I suppose you call it the pay cable uh, networks that yep. can get yep. away with more. Um, really, really pushing those envelopes. Um, And like you said, this was something that was coming in the books. Uh, If you read the books, you'd know this was happening, but um, must be hugely shocking for the, for the viewers. But, um, you know, I suppose if it, if it, if it's not done just for shock value, if it's done 
and it's moving the story forward in a way, or if it's part of the whole, did it feel like, did it feel like it was done arbitrarily, or did it feel like it was done with a purpose? Uh, it's clearly done with a purpose. It's just, uh, for me, the, the, how can I do this without spoiling things? It felt like we were sort of following this group of characters, like this was their story. And for some of them to then be killed uh, when there was this sort of coming together, this culmination, it almost felt like, you know, if you were reading the Harry Potter books and somewhere around the fifth book uh, you found out that you weren't really supposed to be following, like, Harry Potter and the Weasleys at all. Like, it's actually going to be about these people over here that you don't like as much. <laughs> so it was just kind of this shocking, like, oh, wow, okay, well... I mean, they, they clearly got this all planned out, and there's other books beyond that, So, uh, and, and it's still a beloved series. So I'm just along for the ride. It was just very interesting to see, that's but a, it, it just it really felt like he kind of had the rug pulled out from under you. That's a really interesting way of putting it, though, where, like, it... it that's an interesting way of putting it, and it, I understand what you're saying, where it... Yeah, like, like, like so, so suddenly it seems like you've, you've, you've invested all this time if you've invested all this time and energy into this storyline and these characters and whatever love and affection you have and, and uh, stake in where they're going, and now it doesn't matter. Right, it's yeah. It's like, well, you should have been paying attention to these people that we haven't even been filming over here, and now the focus is going to shift somewhere else. Yeah. So it's almost like you can't get too invested in any character because right. you never know what's going to happen with it. Which we kind of learned from Walking Dead, too. It's the same sort of thing. Like, they, they, they have clearly established that no one is safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that it really, with Walking Dead, because that's the only thing I have reference for, because I, you know, I watch that, it really, you really are on the edge of your seat. Because yeah. you feel like anything could happen to any of these characters. Um, you know, and, it, and it's just, there's such finality to the tone of the show as well. That it doesn't really yeah. it doesn't really matter whether these people wake up or not, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it can make for very bleak uh, viewing. Um, we should wrap this up so, so okay. we don't go too long. So, anything else you wanna you wanna get to? Uh, I'll just say quickly that the, you know we we talk a lot about our music tastes and Ben Folds and Bare Naked Ladies put their new albums out this week. Oh, uh, what a coincidence! Because they're on a tour together. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Why is that interesting? Well, because they have some of the same type of music sometimes. So Ben Folds is a live album uh, from their past tour. It's Ben Folds 5, actually. Uh, he's reunited with his old band. Uh, and there's a, a particular track that a lot of people are finding... Uh, whoa, hey! Uh, that a lot of people are digging, and it's he weaves in a song from Jesus Christ Superstar in the middle of his song Do It Anyway. Uh, in just kind of a seamless way, because they have kind of a similar bass line. So people are really digging that. The Bare Naked Ladies album uh, is a really different sound for them. Uh, very, very interesting. It's a, it's a complete sort of, I don't want to say a complete departure, but uh, you can tell it's a very sort of a maturing moving forward as a group. So I've uh, been enjoying those, and uh, I'll be seeing them on their tour in a couple of weeks. And then also E3 is this next week, the big video game trade show uh, in downtown. So you'll probably start hearing a lot of news out of that. I think 
Sun, Monday when this is posted, a lot of the, the companies are having their press conferences. The actual show starts, I think it's Tuesday through Thursday. So I'll be there covering that. So I'll put up pictures of stuff uh, on Action Figure Insider. So check that out. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, there's another uh, full dose of show. Yeah. As they say. That'll keep the kids busy. <laughs> That's right. Keep them quiet for a week. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, as usual. And uh, keep the comments coming and, uh, and or controversies, should there be any. Yes. And um, uh, let's all keep our ears peeled for the new announcements, see who the new doctor's going to be. We've got to hear this week. They can't, they can't let it go too much longer. I would think that's true. You know, because yeah. um, uh, we're, we're winding down here any day. And, uh, and Comic-Con's coming up. Perfect time for – we're going to have a lot of stuff going on at the booth. Um, regarding Doctor Who. We can talk about that next episode, some of the Biff Bang Pow exclusives and stuff. But, um, oh, okay. Uh, you know, 50th anniversary, BBC's going to have a lot going on at Comic-Con, and what better time than to possibly maybe even bring the new Doctor or Matt Smith to Comic-Con for one last visit. That's right, yeah. We shall see. That's true. All right. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Shiny, let's be bad guys. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Behold the secrets of nature's deepest mystery.